Second Kings chapter four, turn there, and I will try to get you um, home and you can hit your couch and breathe a deep sigh of relief that all the kids and grandkids and everybody's gone, right? But Second uh, Kings chapter four, look at it. We're in verse number eight is where we'll begin tonight. And I'm just going to read a few verses, but I'm going to cover quite a few. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee. She is actually pleading with her husband here. Let's make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed, a table, a stool, candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither and he turned in the chamber and lay there. Tonight, I want to talk to you on the subject of a great woman of faith. A great woman of faith. Maybe the greatest people of faith in our churches is not preachers, not deacons, but probably godly women. And so their deep deep faith makes a great impact on the church they attend. And, And I want you to notice this lady. Sometimes we get the idea that only the poor, poverty-stricken people are the only ones who need faith. But this story tells us quite the opposite. This story tells us that even though you are wealthy, even though you have quite a lot of means uh, at your disposal, yet you need the same kind of faith that the poor woman needed that he had just left their house. There's no difference. Wealthy people need God. Poor people need God. Wealthy people needs to believe God, and poor people needs to believe God. Can I get a witness? So this was a great woman of faith. Where one may have financial or material needs, someone else may have family or maternal needs. And so tonight, we're going to look at this great woman of faith faith. It doesn't matter about rich or poor. We went from the poor in verses 1 through 7. Now we move to the rich in verse number 8. First of all, a great woman of faith, write this down, is spiritually compassionate. Verses 8 through 10 tells us that. Shunem was on Elisha's regular circuit of teaching and preaching to the people. We know uh, Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho, he had schools there and and maybe places to where the believers met, Um, something like a synagogue today. We don't know. Maybe he just taught along the way the scriptures. But he and Elijah, uh, before Elijah died, had become uh, pretty famous for preaching the word of God. And Shunem is in the Jezreel Valley, and so I can understand why it would be on the trail to one of those places he would be going. And so the word great here means affluent, a woman of means. That's who she was. But she was also 
very spiritual. I want you to notice this. You can be very wealthy and be very spiritual. Now, it's not many that are, but you can be if you want to be. Now, I know I'm preaching to probably no wealthy people here tonight. If it is, please meet me after the service. I'd like to have a little conversation with you. But first of all, I want you to notice how she was compassionate. She was compassionate to his physical need, verse number 8. Look, she constrained him. She basically put pressure on him and really made an effort to get him eat with their table for the very first time. And when Elisha sat down at her table and eat one meal, he was hooked. Do you, know, do you know a cook like that? I mean, somebody, you can eat one of their meals and you're hooked. I'm telling you, we, we got... Uh, the Cothrans brought us a spice cake. I think that's what it was called. And I'm telling you, I was hooked. Then Miss Geraldine made a chocolate pie that was absolutely out of this world, and I got hooked. And I know it's other people eating some stuff that I was hooked on. Kind of bothered me just a little bit. But uh, he he did not, was not used to this type of of. Uh, uh, blessings coming to him, and so he was hooked. Now, Elisha seemed to be very cautious about whom he, he eats with, and so do you. Be very careful. Uh, be very careful who you spend time with. Be very careful about them. If you're not witnessing to them, then you need to stay away from them because next thing you know, they'll be not witnessing to you but leading you astray. And so Elisha was very protective of himself, but after one meal, he became a permanent caller because he recognized her spiritual compassion. Elisha did not cater to her financially. We do not find that anywhere that he catered to her financially. Folks, listen to me. No church ought to be run by somebody's pocketbook and no Christian ought to be influenced by anybody's pocketbook. If anybody ever comes to me and said, I'll tell you what, I don't like what we're doing, and I'll pull my money out and go somewhere else, well, you just get about it because nobody runs this church by their pocketbook. Jesus runs this church with the tithe and the offering. It's his storehouse. That's what this is. And you ought to be blessed to be able to Put what God has given you into that storehouse. She was spiritually compassionate. You see, great women in Jesus' life. Have you ever thought about, I'm thinking about doing a series on the great women in Jesus' life. Now, Jesus was never married, of course, and and he uh, never had any children. But there were some great women in his life. For instance, there was Mary and Martha. He was, any time that Jesus was near, their table was ready for him. He felt comfortable there in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home. And then there was Simon Peter's mother-in-law who seemed to serve him gladly. I mean, she was on death's bed. He made her well. First thing she did was went and cooked him a meal. And so she ministered to him. She was compassionate. 
A woman who broke an expensive alabaster box of ointment in Luke uh, chapter 8. The scripture said uh, she was the one who worshipped the Lord. He rebuked the Pharisees, but he said, your faith is wonderful and it has saved thee. Go in peace. Well, in Luke chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, there is a group of women. A group of women, and some of them are fluent because they're, they're coming out of the palaces, and some of them are not. But they followed Jesus, and the Bible says they ministered to him, listen, of their substance. You see, you minister to people of what you have that they don't. So Elisha, this woman said, I'm going to minister to him out of my substance. That's what she does right here. She was spiritually compassionate. Uh, the Bible tells us, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? That's just a good way of saying pay your preacher. That's what it says. Romans 15, 27 even goes even further on that. And there's other scriptures that goes even deeper on that. Some of them says he's worthy of double honor. And here was a woman that was so spiritually compassionate on this man of God that she ministered to him of her need. Secondly, she was compassionate to his spiritual nature. She was compassionate to his spiritual needs, but in verse 9, she's compassionate to his spiritual nature. You can tell sometimes if one is spiritual by the kind of preachers they endorse. When people come to me and say, you know, I, I, I like to watch Joyce Meyer on television. That bothers me about their walk with God. When they come to me and say, well, I love to watch old smiley teeth Joel Osteen. I love that. That bothers me about their faith. You see, the kind of preachers people endorse tell us what kind of faith that they probably have. When people send money to help people that's not giving the gospel, that's lying, that just use it as a money-making routine, or, and, and they're ripping people off by the thousands, I'm telling you, you can tell something about their faith if they're that easily duped. And this is what she was not. She was very, very, very. You see, we all known something about Obama because who his preacher was. Yeah, yeah, you ought to known that he didn't preach the gospel. He preached liberation theology. And the Bible never anywhere tells us to preach liberation theology except liberated from Satan and translated into God's kingdom. Well, uh, she was spiritual. She was sensitive to his spiritual nature. She knew he was a holy man of God. I'll tell you something else. You can tell a whole lot about people or where they go to church. Yeah, you can. Where do you go to church? Well, I, I, I go to this church. You can tell a whole lot about them where they go to church. If you know the preacher and you know how the church is run and you know what's going on in the church, and listen, you can tell a whole lot about them, about the way the church is run, about where the church is located and the kind of, uh, the kind of membership it has and the kind of preaching that comes out of it. 
You can tell a whole lot about a person. She knew he was a holy man of God. He was set apart to his calling, and he was sold out to his work. She didn't refer to him as a charming man of God. She didn't refer to him as a charismatic child of God. She didn't refer to him as a kind man of God. She didn't, he, she didn't even refer to him as a learned uh, uh, preacher of God. That, there was no, there was none of that listed. She just said he's a holy man of God. Holy man of God. She was spiritually sensitive to holy men of God. And so because of that, she was spiritually discerning. Just write this verse down and go to it sometime. 1 Corinthians 2.15. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. The word judgeth there means to discern. If you're spiritual, you discern some things that God wants you to discern. So this woman did not want a preacher that was compliant with her whims. She wanted a preacher who wouldn't bend, bow, break, who was God's holy man. Ah, she didn't ever ask for anything. She never said, well, you got, you know, I know now I'm kind of in good with the preacher, and so, you know, I can probably get what I want, or would you do this for me? No, no, no. She didn't do that. She said, you know, I just want a holy man of God. I'm sensitive to his nature. But number three, she was compassionate to her family nuptials, her vows, and the biblical way they were supposed to happen. She knew she needed her husband's compliance in this area of bringing this preacher, building him a room, probably a stairway leaning up outside the house, building him a room up on top of the house where he would have to not come inside the house, would just go and come as he pleased, didn't have to ask, didn't have to tell them he was there. That room was just available to him anytime he was passing that way. And so she asked her husband if that might not be permissible. She showed that she would confer with the leader and the authority of her home. That shows she was spiritual. Shows she was spiritual to her family. She was spiritual to her vows. He was not, her husband was not very spiritual, but he was very material. Verse 14 says he was old. You know, you can get old real quick. He was old, and that was not unusual. Uh, in the instance of Joseph and Mary, for, for instance, Mary was very, very young, maybe just a teenager, and Joseph was probably quite a bit older than her because they had prearranged marriages. Uh, this godly family, this is the way it's supposed to work, would see that this godly family, that they would put their children together. Now, whether you like that way or not, that's just the way things happen. And so she was sensitive to those family needs. He was old, but he wasn't too old to be about his business. You ever heard anybody say, well, I'm too old to get involved in church now, but they're not too old to be about their business Mm -mm. No, they'll be about their business. They'll be about making a little money. They'll be about some of those things, but they don't have time for God. 
Have you noticed verse number 18? You see, he wasn't sensitive to God's business at all. He made a living, but he didn't make much life. You see, no spiritual life. Many people, many men in their homes do not lead spiritually. And here she was sensitive to her family nuptials. That's the way it ought to be. He was a just a casual, hardworking, successful, but at best probably a carnal Christian. But she asked him because that was the God's authoritative way and of course permission was granted. And they agreed together. Heirs of the grace of life, First Peter said. They agreed together. They were heirs of the grace of life. And verse, but the fourth thing, she was compassion to his continual nurture. Verse 9 and 10. Not just for a night, but continual. She didn't want him just to leave the light on for him one night. She wanted to leave the light on for him every night. Any night that he happened to be passed through. And, you know, I found out a lot of people will do about anything for God in the very beginning, but when the new wears off, they're fickle enough that the God seems to wear off. Have y'all noticed that? It just seems to happen, in, in, especially in Baptist churches and in, especially at Hillcrest. And I'm sure everyone else has that same problem. I mean, it's exciting when it's new, but when the devil starts throwing darts at you, it's not quite as, as exciting as it was in the beginning. But not here. Look, she was compassion to his continual nurturing. She wanted to make sure this holy man of God wasn't just taken care of today, but he was taken care of every day. That's the way she wanted it. Not just for a night, but continually. She knew exactly what a preacher, now look, look at this. She knew exactly what a preacher needed. Look what she does. First of all, she noticed that Elisha had a contented spirit. And so because of that, their bare necessities was all he wanted. He didn't need luxury. He, he, he didn't ask for anything more. Why? Because the spiritual was more important to him than the physical. Are y'all still with me? Well, she discerned that about him. She knew he didn't need a mansion. He wasn't interested in those things. He just needed what every good preacher needs. And so going first class wasn't his way. He would sit back and coach, you know. That was all right. It was all right with him. But notice she was so spiritually compassionate that she knew what a man of God needed. First of all, she knew he needed his privacy. I doubt very few Baptists have a clue what that means. In fact, they get angry if they don't get their time. Every holy man of God needs their privacy. And he had here in that little room, that little chamber on the wall with an outside entrance, had no ESPN, 
Had no cell phones. Didn't even have any of those old dial phones. He had privacy. You can't hear from God in the noise. You hear from God when it's just you and God. When I study, I want it just to be me and God. I I can't... I can't concentrate. I can't focus if there's other things that's on my mind, if there's business here at the church or somebody griping here at the church or something that needs to be fixed here or or I get burdened about those things and it gets on my mind and it's hard for me to concentrate on what God's saying. She understood that a preacher needs privacy. Number two, she understood a preacher needs rest. I never knew what that meant until just a few years ago. And now I'm learning a preacher needs a bed. I stay in my bed about two hours a night, then a preacher needs a couch. And I stay there maybe an hour, maybe go back to the bed, and then back to the couch. And then need an apple, and then go back to the couch. But a preacher needs to rest. And notice that she had him a bed. He could rest. He could rest. I used to preach bunches of revival. Let's try, I try to count them up sometimes. And, and back in my younger days when I could go every night and, and um, go sometimes twice a day all week long. Brother Steve remembers some of those days and some of you remember them. And, um, you know, I didn't mind that at all for the preaching part of it. But it was the pastor that you had to deal with that was the pain. Because everybody that they were scared to go witness to, they'd say, I need you to go with me to visit today. And when you got there, he would stand right behind you. Holding, I got your back, preacher, yeah, but I got the front. And they'd work you to death, and by the time you got to preach that night, you was physically worn out, you were mentally drained, and you could not preach like God wanted you to preach. And preachers always ought to know that. When a preacher comes here, I say, you stay in your hotel, get you a word from God, I don't want to see you, except at lunch, if you want to eat, if you don't, I still, that's fine. If you want to go out after church, that's good. If you don't, you go to your hotel. But I'm not taking you to visit somebody we won't visit. Not his job. His job is to come preach. I didn't mean to get off on that. But you see, third thing she was sensitive about was study. She knew a preacher need to study. Some, pre- some people ask, no, oh, you can just get up and open your mouth. Now it comes. Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. But, it, but it, it, it's not what it ought to be. It has to be studied. Listen, you cannot preach a well-prepared, studied message in 15 minutes. I don't care what the contemporary churches tell us. You can't do it. You cannot take a passage and deal with that passage in 15 minutes. Now, you might hit the high spots, say amen, but you have to study. So, look what she did. She put him a table, a stool, and a desk lamp in there. 
That's all he needed. People of faith are spiritual compassion. Secondly, she was spiritually compassionate, but number two, she was spiritually contented, verses 11 through 17. Elisha wanted to do something for this wonderful lady, so he offers her a royal favor. In other words, he says, I know some people. I've got some contacts. I happen to have some, some know some people high up in our military. I happen to know some people high up in, in our government. And, and listen, whatever you need, whatever you need for me to do for you, I just want to do something to repay you for all you've done for me. What can I do for you? And she said, I don't need anything. She was content. I mean, she was absolutely content. This is what 1 Timothy 6, 6 says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. She had them both. Godliness and contentment. People of faith are like that. You know what Paul said in Philippians 4? He said, when things is going good, man rejoice. But when things is going bad, do the same thing. Be contented whichever state you're in. Right? That's what he said. If, you, if, if things is going good, be content. If things are going bad, be content. Learn to get blessed. If somebody wants to bless you, don't refuse it. Hey, if you've done without and you've done without and God says, I want him blessed, let, let somebody bless you. One of our little men in our church wanted to give me a pair of boots. And this morning he presented them to me. And I, I tell you that, it, it, it wasn't the boots. It was the fact that his little heart wanted to do something for his preacher. That meant something to me. You see, I was, I'm much more contented about that than when I wear the boots. Now, I like the boots. Don't misunderstand me. But the truth of the matter is, I like the heart of that little man. And so, thirdly, Elisha, well, not thirdly, but finally under her spiritual contentment, Elisha said to Gehazi, he said, what can we do? And Gehazi said, well, um, she's uh, getting on up in years and her old man is really old and they have no children, don't look like they're ever going to have any children. So why don't we just see if God will give her a child? And so he said, that sounds like a good idea. And so God gave her a son. Why? Because God gave why didn't God give her a daughter? Because widows in that day, it doesn't matter where you had money, didn't have money, you were very vulnerable to a lot of trouble. And so God gave her a son to care for her when the old man had died. So everything was good. But then look at number three. She was spiritually concerned, verses 19 to 25. They all of a sudden, they're out in the field working. He must have had a heat stroke or something. They bring him in, rush him. Uh, the, the, the daddy says, uh, y'all take him in and, and, and lay him across his mother's lap. So obviously, he had, it seemed pretty serious. And obviously, his business was more important than his son's health. But she holds him in her lap and he died. She knew her boy's hope was not medical, so she didn't call the doctor. She knew her boy's hope was spiritual. Wasn't financial or she'd have called the banker. No. She was concerned enough to take her boy into God's care. 
One minute her boy was fine, the next minute he was dead. Folks, your life can take that quick a turn. That's why we need faith for those quick turns in our life. Notice there's a whole lot of people dead in sin today, and they could die in their sins tomorrow. And God may put a quick turn in our life to witness to them, to give them a chance to go to heaven. They say, well, they won't probably hear me. Where's your faith? Uh, see, this, this lady had faith. Her husband, uh, no doubt, was a good man, a good worker, good provider, good neighbor, but he was no help when the boy was dead. Verse 23 lets us know his spiritual concern was pretty weak. And so she asks for permission. Number four, look at her spiritual confidence. In verse 21, she made no preparations for burial. None whatsoever. Didn't call the funeral home. Didn't start to wrap him. Didn't start to anoint him with, the, with any kind of fragrance. No, she made no preparations for burial. She just took him to Elisha's bed full of anticipation of resurrection. Now, maybe she had heard about what Elijah had done to that other widow's son. I don't know where that had gotten around. Probably had. But the case is she made no preparations for a funeral. She made preparations for a resurrection. Hmm. In verse number 23, she comes running up there. Look what it said. She asked her husband if she could, he, she, he could send down uh, one of the assets, one of the donkeys that she could ride on and a man to, to go with her. And, and so he said, why do you want to go see the man of God today? It ain't Sunday. Ain't no revival going on. And she said, it is well. So he had sense enough to know that he had a spiritual wife. So permission was granted. And verse number 23, she just says, it shall be well. Everything's okay. Just let me. If you, would you please just let me go? And, and so he says, all right. And verse number 26, she, does, she says, run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, it is well with thee, it is well with thy husband, well with thy child. You see, when she got almost to Elisha, Gehazi was his servant like Elijah had been Elisha's servant. So Gehazi was his servant. So he said, that's that Shumanite later. Go, go out there and find out what's wrong with her. Something must be wrong the way she's running up here. And so he goes up to her and he said, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy son? Is it well with thy husband? And you know what she said? It is well. Her husband's dead, but she said it's well. Everything's good. Everything's fine. What we say? Mm, no telling what we would say. But I would call that faithful optimism, wouldn't you? Optimism that was founded upon faith. Amen. Hebrews 11.35 in the hall of fame of faith says this, through faith, Women receive their dead raised to life again. I wonder how many times that happened. Some that we don't even know about. And Romans chapter 4 verse 17 said that faith believes that it is good is done once you stand on God's promise. 
no matter what's going on, if God promises, you can stand on it where it happens or not. Fifthly, notice her spiritual contrition, verse number seven. She was so broken. Look, her soul, he, she, she don't have to say anything, but she does. But he didn't necessarily hear her. He, he heard her heart. Look, when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. She fell before him. But Gehazi come to thrust her away. He said, he said, the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. In other words, she's hurting inside. He, you see, when you're spiritually discerning and someone else is spiritually discerning, you know something's wrong because you don't just hear their voice, you hear their heart. And that's the way it was here. It was a picture of the faith that she had with a heart that was broken. She seemed to regard this as a trial of her faith. And she was broken and she was totally dependent upon God and his ambassador, Elijah. Elisha. In fact, I want you to look at Isaiah 66 too. I'm almost through. Listen. For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things hath been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Are y'all listening? But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. He said, God says, I'm looking for somebody to do something for. I'm looking for somebody to believe me. I'm looking for somebody to believe me enough that I can do something to bless them. And he said, what I'm looking for is somebody that is hearing the word of God and is so broken by the fact that they hadn't obeyed and they hadn't believed and they hadn't loved and they hadn't tithed and they hadn't loved and, and, and they hated and they hadn't forgiven and all those things was in their heart and they're broken and contrite and crushed before God. God said, that's what I'm looking for. That's what he's looking for here tonight. He's been looking for the Hillcrest for a long time. He's waiting for somebody to get crushed, to get broken over who they are and what they're doing and how they're living. Broken, crushed, contrite in spirit. That's what it means to be crushed in your heart. This woman here was crushed in her heart, even though she may have not done anything of repentance that, that, that there seemed to be maybe just a tinge of doubt and yet she was crushed in her heart. When you look in the Bible, great faith is always like that. The centurion servant came and you remember, he said, would you come and heal my servant? He, he's a great servant. And he said, before you get there, listen, don't go into my house. I'm not worried if you go into my house. Just say the word and he shall be healed. And Jesus said this, Greater faith have I not found in all of Israel. And when he got home, they said, at the same time that he had said that at your word, that servant was resurrected. All we have to do is believe his word. Luke 7 says it again. Luke 8 tells us about the Syrophoenician woman. Luke 7 tells us about the sinful woman that the Pharisee said, Jesus, you don't even know about her. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Thy faith has saved thee. 
here's, here's last. Look at her spiritual consistency. Verses 27 through 37. In verse 30, she had no confidence in Gehazi's old stick. You remember what here he said, Elisha said, Gehazi, you run on ahead of me. Obviously, he was younger. He said, you run on ahead of me, and you take my staff, and you lay that stick on top of that body. That's what he told him to do. But she wasn't content with that. She didn't go back with him. She stayed right there. She said, I'm not leaving here. Do you go? I'm trusting that you're God's man, and I'm not leaving here till you go. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit pleading till you go. Because I believe if you go, God will give a resurrection. <laughs> I believe that a lot of people are trusting dead sticks instead of a live God. Oh, dead stick religion. Dead stick church. Dead stick singing. Dead stick preaching. Dead stick everything. God does not want to do anything powerful through a dead stick, but he wants to do something powerful in the name of Jesus Christ through a faith in our heart. That's how he wants to do it. Mm. He wants to bless you. And so, she was so determined, not double-faced. James chapter 1 says that God will never fuss at us for praying. He'll never say, oh, no, it's them again. No way. No, you read John 1, I mean, James 1, verses 6 and 7, and God says no. But look at the miracle he does, and I'm done. Listen, listen. Privacy, verse number 33, shut the door. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to write it down. And if you don't say amen, I'm going to run down there and say it myself. Unbelief doesn't get to see what faith sees. That's why I shut them out. Nobody else had faith like her. Get them out of here, Jesus. Get them out of here, he said. Unbelief doesn't get to see what faith sees. So there's privacy. Secondly, there's prayer in verse 33. There's prayer. That old dead stick stuff won't work. Dead stick praying won't work. Dead stick preaching won't work. Dead stick church won't work. But, she, but there was prayer, and then he does something so unusual. There was personal contact. He laid his body upon that boy's body. His arms were his arms, his legs were his legs, his face was where his face was. Personal contact. You know, I believe that may be our problem. May, I think it may be my problem many times. I'm concerned, but I'm not concerned enough to go where I have contact. It, you see, we want to just do it all on our knees and let God take care of the rest. But God says you're showing no faith unless you have contact. Contact. How do you get folks to come to church? Contact. You see, we'll never see God do very many miracles until we're willing to get involved 
and contact. I tell our Sunday school teachers all the time, the secret to building a Sunday school is contact, contact, contact. If you don't do that, you can't grow. And then, lastly, there's persistence. He, he, he had walked the floor before he laid down, but he wouldn't quit until God all of a sudden <laughs> sneezed. <laughs> sneezed. Now, around here, that's not a big deal. We're all sneezing, wiping our nose. We're dripping, we're running, we're snorting and sniffing. But over there in the arid land was a little bit different. When I go there, I feel, I feel so much better. And so, sneezed and sneezed again. And when the sneezing stopped, everything was okay. You know what? If there's somebody counting on you as a cherished friend tonight, reckon who would gain the most from a situation like this? That woman and her family or Elisha and his students? You see, I think they all grew that day in their faith. You don't have to have a lot of faith to see God work, but you do have to have a growing faith to see God keep working. And that's what happened. The whole story came because a discerning woman granted hospitality to the holy man of God. Without that, none of this would have happened. Who knows what awaits us? Who knows what awaits us if we'll be spiritually sensitive to what God wants at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Don't miss it. God's waiting. God's waiting. C.T. Studd, founder of Worldwide Evangelistic Crusades, once said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And he was content to live a sacrificial life in China and India and Africa his whole life. Whole life. There was a man named George Mueller in England. He raised five point. Five hundred thousand million dollars. Five million five hundred thousand dollars. Back in that day, that was like nine billion for Trump, you know. It all passed through George Mueller's hands, not a dime he kept. You know why? He used that money to feed and clothe and educate 120,000 young people. Many who had no family life, had no home life, had no finances at all. But he would believe God to feed them. He believed God so much that one night they were sitting at the table and nothing was on it. And they all said, Brother Stud, there's no food. He said, God said he would not let the righteous go without. So let's pray.
they prayed and there came a knock at the door. And there was a man that said, Mr. Mueller, could you use some milk? My milk truck turned over and I have no way to get all these cans of milk. Would you take this milk? So in came multitude of milk. And he said, let's pray again. And they prayed around that table again. And all of a sudden, there came a knock at the door. And there was a man that said, Mr. Stud. He said, I have had some problems. And I couldn't get to my load. And my, the store refused to take. I've got a whole buggy load of bread. Would you take this bread? And he carried that bread to that table. And that night, those boys had milk and bread. Because C.T. Stud had faith. We might not ever be but just a common man's church. But as long as we have the faith that God wants us to have, we'll have milk and bread every time we sit down to table. Y'all ready tonight? Are you ready tonight just to believe God about something? Somebody needs to believe God to save them. Somebody needs to believe God to use them. Somebody needs to believe God to forgive them. Whatever you need to believe God for tonight, I want you to come.